Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started. And now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. What is creation? Did God create the world in six days and rest on the seventh? Does anyone really care? These questions and many more, including teaching tips and great resources, are presented in the Creation Science Podcast. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and it's my pleasure and honor to be your host. Some of these shows are from my Best of Creation Expos and other presentations I've completed throughout the years of teaching on this topic. I'm the owner of Media Angels, Inc., a publishing company that produces books, audios, and videos to help you and your family in your Christian walk. Check out my books and other podcasts at MediaAngels.com. To get the show notes for this broadcast, go to CreationSciencePodcast.com. And now, let's learn together. Hi, folks. This is Patrick Nury with Northwest Treasures. I want to talk to you about the story in the rocks. Now, before we get started with our topic, I wanted to remind you that my resources for studying biblical geology are available at northwestrockandfossil.com. That's all spelled out. There you will find a host of geology kits and curricula to help you build a biblical view of Earth history. Secular geologists today tell us that the rocks are like the pages of a history book. However, that history can only be read and understood by those trained in modern geology. In a way, secular geologists are correct. The rocks do contain a story, and they can tell that story, but only if you start from a correct historical perspective of the history of the earth. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Pick up an average US coin and tell me how old it is. For instance, I have here in my possession a silver dollar and that silver dollar has a date on it of 1878. Now pick up a dinosaur bone or a dinosaur track and tell me how old it is. You can look all you want. You're not going to find a date. Can you see the problem? With the coin, there is a clearly defined and printed reference point. The date for the origin of that coin is clearly printed on it. But with a rock or fossil, There is no clearly defined nor printed reference point on the rock or fossil. Well, how do we come up with an age for the rock or fossil then? How can we read its history and tell its story? Until the mid to late 1700s, those who studied nature were called naturalists. And they studied rocks and fossils in light of the creation and the Genesis flood as told in the scriptures. 
They followed the scripture written by Paul in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. Most people today simply dismiss this approach as unscientific and the product of ignorant people. But hang on, Newton and Galileo were two such ignorant men because they believed in the Genesis account for the history of the earth. The person who gave us the first few rules for understanding geology, Nicholas Steno, was one of these ignorant men also. His rules are still taught in modern geology, and he followed the account of the Genesis flood as recorded in Genesis. If you have thought about this dilemma for any length of time, you will most likely come to the conclusion that scientists use radiometric dating to tell us how old bones and rocks are. But there are a few problems with this simplified conclusion. First, radioactivity was not discovered until 1897. The first radiometric age of the Earth was not calculated until 1912. But modern geology with its old Earth position was formulated over a hundred years before radiometric dating was developed. So, the geologists who gave us the early ages for the Earth in the 1800s must have been just guessing. Number two, since radiometric dating was first developed, a number of problems have surfaced with it and continue to reveal problems. Many articles have been written about these problems and continue to be. So, we have to ask our questions again. How old are the rocks and the fossils we find? How old is the earth and what is the story in the rocks? Right away, we should be able to tell that these questions cannot be resolved by science. For science involves observation, testing, and repetition of our tests. We can study the makeup of the rocks and the fossils but science cannot tell us the story in the rocks. To find our answers, we really have to leave the science building and go to the history, philosophy, and consensus building. But even these departments have to ask questions. What is our reference point? What is our starting point for answering these questions? Now, this is precisely where the geologist who founded modern geology began. In those early days of modern geology, there were no extensive fossil and rock collections from which these first geologists derived their answers. There were no disciplines even called geology or paleontology. But there were two competing philosophies about the rock layers that were observed. One source for ideas continued to be the Bible. 
Another idea came from a movement developing very quickly during the 18th and 19th centuries called the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment was a breakaway from the traditions of the Church, the Bible, and miracles. Everything was to be studied in light of what learned men could discover apart from the Scripture or Church traditions. The most serious mistake made in this new reasoning was in regarding the Scriptures as mere religious texts, no different from any other religious writings. The history contained in the Scriptures was simply rejected out of hand. This was a choice, and that choice had no evidence for it. When the scriptures were jettisoned as history, so were the ideas of a six-day creation and a global flood, as these were no longer viewed as real historical events. At this point, geology took a 180-degree turn. If the Bible talked about a young earth and a global flood, and it was simply a myth, then there must be another explanation for Earth's geological history. The counter view to a young Earth and global flood became known as uniformitarianism. The present geology we observe now was responsible for slowly shaping our Earth's rocks and landforms over immensely long periods of time, perhaps millions of years. A new type of geology was born with this view in 1797 through a man by the name of James Hutton, now regarded to be the father of modern geology. Modern geology has actually been the father of what we now call the historical sciences, those fields of study that involve uniformitarianism as the beginning or starting point for formulating anything to do with Earth history. These fields of study include geology, paleontology, modern astronomy, biology, archaeology, and virtually any field of study that starts with an ancient history of the Earth and the universe. Even space exploration depends on this philosophy, as one of its primary goals is to search for life on other planets. And uniformitarianism is the only view that is accepted in our modern educational institutions. Now, let's go back to our original questions. If the rocks and fossils do not contain ages or dates, then how do we tell how old they are and where they came from? Do the rocks really tell a story? Well, since these questions cannot be answered by science, telling the story in the rocks must be interpreted by some kind of a framework. A framework provides historical boundaries in which to interpret what happened. Although uniformitarianism claims to be a historical science, it is not. Now, here's why. Uniformitarianism is extremely limited in its ability to tell the story of the past, because the history of observation in uniformitarianism is limited 
to the past 200 years. There is a very narrow window of history that has actually been observed. The Bible, on the other hand, records a global geological event that took place 4,500 years ago, and that event had eyewitnesses. The real view of Earth history is one of creation, followed by a catastrophic flood, followed by punctuated ongoing local geological events, many of which we have observed today. So, let's apply our historical framework to what we see in the rocks. Let's see if the story of Earth history, using our biblical historical framework, can be told. The first place I begin is a discussion of volcanic rocks. These are the only rocks we have seen forming and continue to see forming. How would a scriptural framework explain the existence of volcanic rocks? Volcanoes are nasty things. They spew out hot, dangerous gases that destroy living things. They also cause a lot of damage to property through ash flows and hot lava flows approaching 1900 degrees Fahrenheit. These catastrophic events in nature cannot have been used in the original creation. It defies the scriptural account that tells us, And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Using our biblical historical framework as recorded in the scriptures, volcanoes seem to best fit into the global catastrophic flood of Genesis 7:11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were opened. With the cracking and breaking of the earth's crust, it would naturally come volcano upheaval. What about rocks like granite, definitely not a volcanic rock, and one that no one has ever witnessed forming? Modern geologists call granite a bedrock. In other words, granite forms the foundation of the earth. Geologists do indeed observe that granite forms the continental crust of the earth. But since no one has seen granite forming, can the Bible explain granite? Well, not directly, but if we accept the Bible's history, then granites have to be young, and most likely most of them would have been created within the first few days of creation week. Now we come to rocks geologists call metamorphic rocks. This word means changed form. But here again, no one has ever witnessed metamorphic rocks forming. We have to guess based on the perspective we chose at the beginning. Since the Bible is historical and trustworthy, let's see if it has anything to say that might explain how we got changed rocks. Using our biblical historical framework as recorded in the scriptures, metamorphic rocks seem to best fit into the global catastrophic flood of Genesis chapter 7, 
verse 11 that we read earlier. Massive amounts of foundation rocks and even many of the sediments produced during the flood could have been changed through the heat and pressure produced from large amounts of rock grinding against each other as they were moved by the breaking up of the fountains of the great deep. Such friction generated could cause rocks to change by rearranging their minerals into new patterns. Limestone could have been transformed into marble. Sandstone could have been transformed into quartzite. Granite could have been transformed into the metamorphic rock, gneiss, and so on. The billions of fossils we find in sedimentary rocks are easily explained by the global catastrophic flood. With the releasing of huge underground reservoirs of water, walls of muddy sediments would have quickly buried billions of sea and land creatures and plants, preserving exquisite examples of living things from the pre-flood world. Geologists used to teach that it took millions of years for fossils to form. Not many believe that anymore. The absolute requirement is the right chemical environment. The rocks and fossils tell a story. It is a story of the creation of elements and minerals into useful things for man. The rocks and fossils also tell us a story of global destruction through a year-long flood. We see the evidence in the metamorphic rocks, the changed rocks, in the volcanic rocks, the lava rocks, and in the sedimentary rocks, the fossil-bearing mud turned to stone. Remember that the war we are engaged in is not a matter of science versus the Bible. It is, and always has been, a war of worldviews. Be sure to see our website, northwestrockandfossil.com, for resources to help you equip your kids and yourself in this battle of worldviews. I would suggest starting with my book, Genesis, Rock Solid, and another of my books, Bedrock Geology. So long for now. Thanks so much for listening to the Creation Science Podcast. You can find the show notes at creationsciencepodcast.com. And as always, reach out to me, Felice Gerwitz, at felice at mediaangels.com. Take care, God bless, and I hope you enjoy teaching your children and learning about the beautiful world that God created. Please share this broadcast with a friend, and thanks so much. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Look for the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts. For a special subscriber printable pack, as well as all our timely freebies, join our email list on theultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com.